0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Everything Ema Podcast, part of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joe Tillery, and before we get into things here, I want to say if you like the podcast, if you listened to it a couple of times before, go ahead and consider subscribing as well as leaving us a review wherever you get your podcast from. It takes a little bit of time, but it helps us out a lot. That being said, let's kick things off. The Kansas State Wildcats are in the Elite Eight, one of the eight remaining teams in the entire nation in the 2023 NCAA Tournament. They call it March Madness for a reason, and it was madness against Michigan State and Tom Izzo last night. One of the greatest games of all time. I'm not just saying that. I'm not just a biased fan here. My team's better than your team. That's not the case. That was objectively one of the greatest college basketball performances from both teams ever in college basketball history, in March Madness history, on the biggest stage at Madison Square Garden, in front of the entire world, essentially. I would guarantee that that was the most watched game of this round. I would guarantee it. That game was massive. The magnitude, massive. Jerome Tang has now beat back-to-back coaching Hall of Fame guys in Tom Izzo and John Calipari in the past two weeks in his first year as a Division One head coach. The greatness we're seeing from the Kansas State Wildcats is unprecedented. We are now a genuine, real, explosive big deal. K-State is at the forefront of everybody's minds, including the likes of Patrick Mahomes, Kevin Durant. Guys around the nation are talking about Keese and the Cats, Keontae Johnson and the Cats. It blows my mind because we've all known this for a while. We've all known this for a while. K-State and the passion and rich tradition we've had. Jerome Tang, Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, all those guys are putting that culture on display for the entire nation to be a part of. The culture in Manhattan is now nationwide to show what we really are, and I can't be more thrilled about it. I am so excited for this year's March Madness Tournament. Let's get into some specifics here. I want to talk a little bit about the box score here from last night's game. Knowing how insane it was, I want to break down a couple key points on the box score of different scores, different minutes, whatever we saw out there. I want to give you my thoughts, and before I kick it off with that, I want to give a shout-out to my boy Ryan Gilbert working for GoPowerCat.com. He had an awesome tweet today talking about the Desi Sills situation. So with him fouling out, and we'll talk about the fouls a little bit later on. I've got some key thoughts on those. But he tweeted, Desi Sills, the one lone bright spot to him fouling out. He only played 19 minutes in the game, which sounds like a bad thing at the first time. He wasn't out there for the 40-plus minutes he would have been. So his legs are going to be the most well-rested among all the guys. Tyke Green didn't play a single minute. A couple of key role players, I mean, Bebe only probably was in the game for three minutes, like, a couple of the role players that didn't see as much action have some rested legs, which is so good, especially in a high-endurance game like that, on the counter side of that. We know K-State is the most well-conditioned team in the entire country. If you didn't, Marquise Noel led every single player in the NCAA in minutes played this season, followed closely behind by a cast of other dudes, then right behind him Keontae Johnson. I mean, K-State knows what they need from their superstars, but with Desi Sills getting 19 minutes and then nothing in the second half, really? I mean, he played a little bit in the second half, fouled out with, I think, 13 or 14 minutes left, which is a huge hit to the Cats. It was awesome to see them continue and win for Desi. He's going to be ready to go, I think, against Florida Atlantic, and we'll preview them a little bit later on in the game, but for now, let's take a look at the box score. A couple of key stats that I had going into this game. They showed you on the screen one of them, and I'll talk about the other one. Kansas State was 4-0 and this season when it going to overtime. Michigan State 1-1. We hadn't lost in overtime yet, and that stat continues. 5-0 and on the season in overtime games. Here's a stat they didn't talk about. When Naquan Tomlin, the alien specimen, athletic, perfect human being he is, has stayed on the court for more than 33 minutes in a single game, K-State is 6-0. and When Tomlin logs at least 33 minutes, K-State doesn't lose. Because of his foul trouble this season, he's gotten to that 30-minute mark, 28-minute mark, and hasn't been able to stay out there for the whole time. This game, he was out there for 35 minutes. That stat continues forward. 7-0 for the Kansas State Wildcats when Tomlin's on the court for more than 33 minutes. And yes, overtime helped that, but 35 minutes either way, Tomlin was balling. 11-7-3. It wasn't the the biggest stat line of all time, but the dude is a glass cleaner. He's figuring out how to use his body every single game going forward. The guy's been an athletic freak. Let's talk about Keontae Johnson. Keontae, 22 and 6 and 1. I'm just going to say 22 and 6. In this game, 45 minutes played, which is unbelievable to see. 45 minutes. He played the entire game, if I did that math right. He didn't come out the entire game once. I didn't even notice that coming into the episode. He didn't come out once. Noel only missed two minutes because of that ankle injury. He played 43 minutes. That's crazy to see on the stat sheet. In this game, Keontae Johnson played every single second and scored 22 and 6. He was unstoppable. And even though Noel set history, and all the guys have been talked about, Cam Carter had a massive day. A couple of guys came in and really competed. They should be talked about. Keontae almost isn't getting talked about in how incredible he is. The biggest thing, him and Noel, that Travis-Kelsey-Patrick-Mahomes relationship they have, every time Noel's driving, somebody's going to be open. The way the K-State crashes the board, they all know how to play with Noel, and I don't think there's a method to stop that. Jay Wright, Villanova coach-turned-analyst, was talking about it at halftime, saying, you know, we got to double team this guy. You know, key double teams are going to really help. Did you not watch the Kentucky game at all, Jay Wright? Every possession they try to double Marquise Noel, he's too athletic, he dribbles around you, and then he dimes somebody up for a massive lob, Denae Tomlin, or an around-the-back pass to Keontae Johnson for a slam. You can't double the guy. You can't stop the guy. And the old adage is, you can't stop him. You can't even, you can hope to contain him. You can hope to contain him at best. Marquise Noel, there's not a recipe for. This guy is one of one. And you see all the NBA players, even Isaiah Thomas coming and giving praise to this kid who was rooting for Michigan State in that game, I want to add. And Marquise Noel, if you didn't see the legendary clip, looked up right before throwing the alley-oop to break the 92-92 tie game to Keontae Johnson. Looks up into the crowd and says, watch this, looking right at Isaiah Thomas. Because he knew that they're cheering for Michigan State in the game. Incredible. There isn't a recipe to beat this team. You can go back and look at film from the Big 12. But everyone in the Big 12 plays unbelievable basketball. Tom Izzo had the audacity, the audacity after them, the absolute gall to say that the Big Ten is the best conference in college basketball, and then said, I don't care what anybody says. It is. That's not a reason, dude. That's not a logic. That's not facts. One Sweet 16 team made it in Michigan. None in the Elite Eight. The next closest thing is is Wisconsin in the NIT tournament. Did you not see the seven Big 12 teams that made the tournament? Did you not see that two of them were in the Sweet 16, one of them at least going on to the Elite Eight, Texas playing today? Did you miss out on all that? And while I'm on the topic, what is up with these Hall of Fame coaches coming after K-State? The disrespect, man. I saw a tweet about it earlier in the week. I, I apologize who I'm, who I'm reading this from. But if you're out there, DM me and I'll give you some credit here in the next episode. I apologize. Tweeting out basically saying, where is this disrespect coming from, from K-State? We were the first team picked to get upset by, by uh, Montana State. Nope, doesn't happen. K-State wins because we're a good team. We play great. That happens. Move on. Then we're looking down the pipeline at Kentucky. Everybody in the world saying Kentucky oh, this team's college basketball royalty. They're going to destroy Kansas State. These guys have never had a basketball program. They're a football school. No way. We beat them. K-State was the lowest spread of any of the teams in that three fourteen matchup week one. Then you go to Kentucky. Kentucky's favorite. Then you go on to Michigan State. Then you go on to Michigan State. Michigan State's favorite. Everybody says, no way in hell they beat Tom Izzo. They can't just, no way. They had they had John Calipari last week. They had Tom Izzo this week. They're not going to win again. We do it again. And now we go on to Florida Atlantic and everybody's saying they're not a gimme. They're not a gimme. Hey, this K-State team, everything, you know, everything's up there. Well, I think we're favored by one and a half right now in DraftKings, maybe two points. Which, yeah, that's fine with me, I guess. But at some point, that swing is going to jump. The swing is going to jump. Everybody will be on the, band, the bandwagon for K-State if they're not already. Because people want to keep seeing this team together. And I can't picture a better fact, a better thing to rest your hat on, saying we have the best college culture in the nation. I know fans of other teams aren't going to be happy with that. I know other people aren't going to be happy with that. But you cannot disagree. When you see the guys on screen just so happy to play together. Ishmael, Sood, I should have mentioned earlier, had a crazy day. One of my favorite, all-time favorite cats already. And we'll talk about that a little bit going forward. Guys are happy all the time. Ishmael Sood, big smiles. Bebe Ijeola. Naquan Tom was the most expressive dude I've ever seen with his facial expressions. Everybody's happy. And then Jerome Tang gets on the mic after the game. And instead of saying, hey, we're built for this. Everybody needs to give us some love and respect. He says... It's amazing what you can do when you love your players, when your players love you and respect you. That's how it goes. We're not out here you know, citing Bible verses and getting fired. We're not out here having any of the crappy stuff that other coaches have done versus our team. We are the team that loves each other. We're the team that respects each other. And the post-game comments were eerily similar, eerily similar to that after we beat KU. Hey, no more of the chant. KSU, it's amazing what we do when we motivate ourselves by love. Forget the chant. We don't need to hate another school. Come out because we love Kansas State. Tang beats Michigan State. It's not because we hate Michigan State, we hate Tom Izzo. Come out and we are the most respectful, responsible team in the country. We talk about how, how awesome the moment is and how much we love being here. It's not about we're the best, I'm the dog, I'm this, none of that, man. The most praise Marquise Noel got was from teammates and then Tang calling him a bad boy on national TV. Like, it's just not the same. And then Tom Izzo has, once again, the audacity to get up there and say, you know, it, they hit a lot of lucky shots. If we have to retire another Hall of Fame coach next week, which we won't, we're playing FAU, I mean, maybe, you know, history books are still on the other side, we don't know yet, but it's not the same coaching pedigree that a John Calipari has or a Tom Izzo has, but if we have one more coach complain and say, you know, these guys are just, you know, they're just lucky, they're lucky to even be here, the color of purple they have sucks, their players are terrible, Marquise Noel's too little, if I hear any of that, dude, it just, it baffles me how you think that. So let me kick it into a different gear here. This has been a historically great season for Kansas State. One of the greatest of all time. This is just beginning to scratch the surface of what's to come. In my personal opinion, I think this is the real case. You take a team in your first year, Jerome Tang. first year you take them to the, at least the Elite Eight. We're going past this. We're winning the damn national championship. But you take your team to at least the Elite Eight. Everyone in the world is commenting about K-State and the culture they have. Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, all these athletes. They're seeing that. On a nightly basis, this team continued to overachieve, to put up against the world's best, against the nation's best, historically great coaches. In your first year, you show that off. You have that under your belt. If I'm a high school kid, if I'm a four-star, five-star recruit here, and I'm looking for a place to play college basketball, somewhere where I have a good father-figure mentor coach who loves me and respects me, treats me like a player as well as a person, I'm going to Kansas State. It's a great college town. It's a great life. Everybody is happy all the time. You work hard. You see Marquise Noel put in the work. You see Keontae Johnson putting in the work. All the guys showing up. The culture, all, all of us clapping when the song Lowdown comes on. There are things that I don't think other recruits can get at K-State. I think there's a real chance that we start to see a ton of players start to filter into K-State. We haven't had a five-star in so long. We've had three already tour K-State. David Castillo, another kid that played similar with uh, Bronny James. And I forget the third kid. But there's a ton of players that are considering K-State, considering the program. David Castillo, I think, hasn't made his decision yet. He toured a couple of big places, so he toured Kansas as well and a couple other spots. It wouldn't surprise me if we start to see more and more four- and five-star recruits filter into K-State, especially after this year. And we've already got guys like Naquan Tomlin coming back, Ish Massoud coming back. Uh, just in case you didn't know, we got three four-star recruits coming in next year. Michaela Bridge, R.J. Jones, DiDi Ames. We've got guys coming in. We've got dudes coming in. Three four-stars already set up. They're going to learn quick. They're going to learn quick. We've got a guy like Taj Manning on the bench, who I just want to say now, I think is going to be absolutely incredible when he gets on the court for K-State next year. When you think about it, you have, you're have you in the position of Keontae Johnson. You're going to be the guy in practice that has to guard him every day. Every single day, you have to guard a Keontae Johnson. That level of play, you've seen it. First-team All-Big 12 guy. It's an All-American basketball player. You have to guard this guy every single day. Every single rep. Every single repetition. You have to be with this guy. That is going to give him such a leg up on every other defender, every other forward in the country. It would surprise me if Taj Manning didn't show up immediately, have a massive impact for K-State. The guys that are coming in, where we're at right now, this is only the surface, and it's going to continue to develop and get higher and higher. Drum tang's the real deal. And this was a tweet I saw that I wanted to talk about here on the pod because I knew how important this is, how incredible this is. This, this isn't what you see every day, okay? So Jareem Delling, we all know Coach Jareem. He's been unbelievable, the maestro of doom. He's just been one of the hype men and one of the assistant coaches that has really taken K-State up another notch. Someone tweeted about it. They're like, you know what? This guy deserves to have a head coaching opportunity somewhere very soon, right? Dowling basically replies and said, you know what? In Coach Tang's offense, I'm already a head coach. He allows every single coach to have the head coach mentality, and everybody's opinions are valued in the same way. If that's not a guy you want to coach for or play for or be around on a daily basis, I don't know who is. If you need more examples of this... Here's his post-game audio, courtesy of CBS Sports. Let me just toss this up and listen to this. If you didn't already hear I'm sure you've already heard it. Here you go. Coach, you had a shirt on yesterday in practice It said crazy faith on it. Yeah. How much crazy faith did you have to have in those last 20 seconds? Oh, yeah. I mean, we got a ton of faith in each other. They have faith in me. I got faith in every one of these guys right here. They probably did more coaching than I did. I just try to love them, man. And when you love people, it's amazing what you can accomplish. I saw you two going at it over a couple of timeout arguments and play call arguments. That's the kind of relationship you have, though. What was it like in those final seconds with the timeout battle between yeah. coaches? You know, where we was at, it was a place of fire. But we practiced in a place of fire all the time. So he was ready for it. This is a bad boy right here. This yeah. a bad boy. All that just goes to show you how incredible Jerome Tang is as a person, as a man, as a coach, as anyone you can imagine, the guy's incredible. I am so thrilled, and I love the fact that he's the coach of the Kansas State Wildcats. Now that I've had a chance to breathe, and I've watched the highlights, and I can actually you know, feel my heart beating this time, rather than it exploding out of my chest the entire game, I want to give a last couple of shout-outs here before I preview the Elite Eight game of just dudes who I was impressed with in this game. Overall, you know, I thought that Cameron Carter, Cam Carter, sorry, I was so lame to call him Cameron Carter, Cam Carter had one of the best games of his career. I know he had that big one in Iowa State where he had like 18 points in the first half. Cam Carter was clutch all around. Great defense. And for a young guy as a sophomore to have the heads-up plays of tossing it off the dome of a Michigan State defender and bouncing it out getting us the ball, that's intelligence. That is coaching right. The guy is so smart. I think he's going to be one of the best cats we've had in a long time. Every year that he takes step another step forward. Cam Carter, 37 minutes in this game. Not tired at all. 12 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists in this game massive for Cam Carter, especially just being the young guy around one of the superstar teams. Like Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noah are, are the two driving factors. Tomlin's kind of the third guy in that rotation. But you and Desi Seals are the guys that can make the defensive end massive. You can stop the best players for the other team. And Cam Carter, once Desi Seals found out, went to bat. Even though he had a couple of shots that were hit over him or, or you know, a couple and-one opportunities, it was some soft officiating. It really was. Not for K-State. They didn't call a single like soft call for K-State. Every soft foul that Desi Sills had or Cam Carter had, I didn't think were fouls. Tomlin had a couple that was like, eh, it was, that was an actual foul. But overall, the officiating was soft, man. It blew my mind how many fouls they were calling on Desi Sills. And the replay that it showed on Desi Sills where he fouled out, two of Desi's fingers hit the guy on the hip. It was like he was giving him a back rub. It was not a foul. But I think Cam Carter went to bat and stepped up in that spot. Ishmasud deserves all of his flowers, all the flowers he continues to get every single time he's on the court. Tomlin's unbelievable. David Gasson had a massive day, and even though the stat sheet wasn't huge for him, 11 points, a rebound and an assist, and that massive block on the second-to-last possession for Michigan State, David Gasson showed up. And that deep three he hit early in the game, that was a great shot, man. The dude is unbelievable. He's a big contributor. But I do want to look a little bit ahead to FAU here. They're—they're. are they're, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, oh, they're a bad team, or, but I'm also not going to sit here and gush over them. I'm not going to be that guy. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter being like, we can't, you know, we can't undersell them or we can't, you know... The team's not gonna undersell them. Here's the thing. I know we lost to Loyalist Chicago, and I know we lost to Butler. This isn't that case, man. This is not that team. This is that was years ago. We as fans were hurt. We were broken about that. If you can't tell the difference between these teams, you're not watching the right team. And I know Jacob Poland was incredible back in his day, but the difference in team now versus then is massive. You know, K-State was just hoping to be there. Even though we were one of the top seeds in the tournament, we were still just hoping. We had so much optimism, but there wasn't much reality. There wasn't much, you know, it was a lot of misguided optimism with our team. Because if if Poland has an off day, we were in trouble. I know there's a couple other good guys on the court, but we were in trouble. This team competes as a team for the full duration of the game. Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, even when they're out, the dudes are still competing their heads off. Every single thing this, this team does has been impressive. I said it last week on the podcast, we don't have perfect players, but we have a perfect team. And that's what you need to win in March. You need good coaching and a perfect team and the leadership you get. That's huge. FAU's been good. I want to shout out my boy Ryan Moss here. Put up a couple of tweets talking about it. He's a fan of the podcast, so shout out to Ryan. Ryan, if you're listening, I appreciate you. Put out a couple of tweets talking about FAU. A little bit of a breakdown here. I haven't watched much FAU basketball this season, to be honest with you, just because they haven't really come across the TV outside of March. But let's talk about their run here. The only reason that I'm kind of underselling them a little bit is their run in March here. The good team that they've beat is Tennessee, and Tennessee is banged up. They're without their best player. Before this, they beat Farley Dickinson, who beat Purdue. So it's not to say that they're a bad team. They did beat Purdue, but Purdue was a really flawed team. If you look at it on paper, they're a really flawed team. So they go up, they beat Memphis to start off. I thought Memphis was going to win that game. It was a close game. They end up pulling it out. FAU advances. 9-seed beats an 8-seed, moves on to the 16-seed because there was a massive upset. Beats them, then takes on the 4-seed Tennessee, who's banged up and injured. They haven't really played a complete team in this run. That's what I'm going to say. They're a good team, don't get me wrong, but they haven't played a complete team yet. Tennessee played great last week. They played bad this week. I, I don't think that FAU's been tested yet, so I don't know how to gauge them. Their two tough, toughest games came against UAB and North Texas in back-to-back wins. Shout out to Ryan Moss for bringing that up here. Here's some just background on the team here. Overall, Ken Palm, they have some high inflated numbers. I really think so. They have two more quad one wins than Memphis and Tennessee. 22 of k-state's last 23 games have been versus top 100 teams the only game that wasn't was montana state which you know obviously we knew but the toughest back-to-back games for fau were against north texas and then uab and it's not to say that those aren't valid games but that was back in december and early january that was so long ago they haven't been tested that, that those games are practically irrelevant at this point same thing with the texas game for k-state we know how incredible it is to look back but nobody's really thinking about texas saying yeah this game is relevant unless we play texas again you know what i mean Yes, we're a high-flying team, but there's so many more recent examples of what we could use. Uh, UAB, no, FAU doesn't have the recent examples that we can see and say, oh, this is a massive win for them. Obviously, the tournament is, is their recent example, but anyone can win in the tournament. That's why I'm not looking them out. I'm not looking over them. I think K-State wins this game. I really do. And my player to watch, if I say Marquise Noel, I'm lame. If I say Keontae Johnson, I'm lame. I've said Naquan Tomlin last week. Desi Sills is going to be the guy to watch this week. He's fresh, his legs are fresh, he's going to be ready to run, and I think that he's going to shut down whoever FAU's best player is. Let's take a look here and I'll give you some heads up of who I think that matchup will be. I think Desi Sills is going to go, go to work against John L. Davis. I do. John L. Davis is their best player. This is where, where I think the gap is. Their best player averages 13 and 5. So he averages 13 points a game, 5 assists a game, excuse me, 13 points, 5 rebounds a game, and he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, he's a great player, but they can't compare to the Keontae Johnson of the world. I think Keontae is going to be absolutely too strong. Too big, too strong. And Naquan Tom is going to be a problem. In my breakdown, I see Tomlin and Johnson playing a massive game. Just, just being bigger bodies than they've expected all season. I just feel good about that. And I think my prediction for this one is going to be a little different than last week. K-State's won a ton of different ways, right? I think this game for Michigan State, I predicted 78-73, 78-72. So I had the spread right. In theory, I just didn't have that many points scored. I don't think we allow that many points. I don't. I think we lock down and shut down. I would see something similar to the Montana State game, but maybe just subtract 10, te- 10 points from both teams. Maybe even not that. Give me go ahead and give me the K-State Wildcats 81 to 67. That's where I feel about this one. Maybe even 79 67. I'm going to go with 81. I'm going to plant my flag high. I think the boys are going to be ready. And we are going to roll on into the Final Four. And after we cut down the nets, the net will be hanging around Marquise Noel's neck in his hometown, in Madison Square Garden. Can you write me a better fairy tale ending? I don't think so. This team is going to keep winning, and I trust it on Saturday. Kansas State, you've got a winner in this year's team. We are so excited for Saturday, and I can't wait. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. My name is Joe Tiller once again. This was the Everything e podcast, part of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. Once again, if you like the show, go ahead and review it. Consider subscribing. Anything you can do to help us out a little bit is greatly appreciated. I hope you have a wonderful day. It's a great day to be a Wildcat, just like every other day. Go Cats, baby!